Welcome to Dialogues. Today we are talking to Alan Cockrell. He had 15 years with General Electric, is former CIO of Petrofac, and is now CIO of Global Functions and Group CISO at Shell. This episode was recorded in May 2020. We get into digital transformation, the future of oil, and cover org structures and operating models in this new normal. Let's go and chat with him. Well, hi, Alan. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Good morning. Um, so where in the world do we find you and uh, how, how did you get there? Well, look, uh, I'm calling in from Lockdown Central in, in London, England. Uh, I think it's bordering on two months now that we've been been here uh, safe and sound in, in the house. And it's I'm getting used to my new office, which is my kitchen table half of the week and the guest bedroom for the other half of the week. Brilliant. Yeah, no, it's, it's a challenge for everybody. Um, yeah, so again, thanks for joining us. Um, so let's get straight into it. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. What is, what is DT? What is digital transformation to you? Look, it, digital transformation is, it means a lot of things to a lot of people. Uh, the way that I've embraced that uh, buzzword, so to speak, is really leveraging all the great new technology that we have available to us today and finding better ways, more innovative ways to cost-effectively transform the business or support the transformation of the business. So I think for us, even at its most basic level, it's driving a different culture and a different way of working. And ironically enough, you know, this COVID-19 situation has been one of our biggest change advocates in terms of helping to get the business and to get our global functions to be fully embracing new technologies and, and new ways of working. Well, I was, I was going to say that because obviously that we, we knew what digital transformation was in everywhere in the world eight weeks, nine weeks ago. And obviously today it's very, very different for everybody. Um, so how, how is, what's the comparison there? Do you see, you know, how, how do you see that? From an organizational perspective, I think it's thrown out the window all of these apprehensions about managing a distributed workforce. I think before this, there was plausible deniability that a, a team could never be fully effective being 100% remote. There was always that kind of legacy perception that you had to be in an office, you had to commute every day to a central location. And I think through the necessity of addressing keeping people safe related to COVID, that that's been disproven. And I think I've seen a lot of resilience and flexibility in, in our user base uh, to embrace the tools, use them and find new ways of working. And if I look at the organization now, you know, we originally had about 10 to 15 percent of our workforce that would work remote. So predominantly sales teams and management. Now we're at 100 percent. And in that 100 percent, we have users from, you know, managerial level folks like myself all the way through to engineers doing advanced modeling from their respective kitchen tables. And well, so that's so we hear that all these that many companies are, will, will it's almost we've been forced into this situation and there's always been this reluctance for loads of reasons that we know of having a remote workforce. Um, is it is it possible that this is just a it, not that it's a fad, but it will be this way because it has to be. And then eventually it will just slowly ramp up to the point where we just go back to where it was always or, or maybe or not. Look, I tend to be an optimist in these type of situations, and I genuinely think we have an opportunity to rethink how we work as, as, as a business and, and as you know, a, a current generation of leaders. You know, these tools work. These tools are, are great. And you know, in the environment where we do not have to homeschool kids as well as 
as well as work. I think right. once that normalizes a little bit, I think people will find that you know you'll be you'll be as effective or more effective if you're able to have the flexibility to work from home. And if you look at it just in a 24-hour day, if you can chop off your hour commute on both sides of the day, you know that's a tremendous amount of productivity that you can add to yourself, and also you can add to your personal life just because you're not you know in the doldrums twice per day, you know going to a fixed location. Yeah, no, it's, it's. I hadn't thought about it from the perspective that, in actual fact, this we are working from home, but it's still incredibly restrictive. You know, when it all, when we get through this, working from home could actually be even more effective. It's yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I find myself more effective. I think the the pendulum almost swings the other way, where I find myself probably working more. Just because you don't have the bookends of the day where you you know down tools and you you go and go into the office and you down tools and come home, so I think you know again it requires some management, but uh, I find myself even probably clocking more hours. Yeah, it's it's an enforced routine in that sense for people. Whereas yeah. I've actually don't have six seven hours. I've actually got to stick. I've got to get this done in two. Mm-hmm. It's it's an enforced rigor. Yeah. Um, so as these, as, as, as everybody's looking into almost the, the, the abyss of what's going on and digital transformation and look, we know we have to, to survive, yeah. you know, some companies are being really aggressive, some are incredibly conservative, uh, defense offense. Yeah. What's your advice experience? What, what's your take on it? Look, you know, times are really tight. You know, in the oil and gas industry right now, you know, we were hit with a double whammy of near complete demand destruction, as well as, you know, the price of oil going through the floor. You know, we, we saw futures go negative for the first time ever, which is something I never thought I would see. So with that as the backdrop, I think the smart companies will continue to invest through the down cycle because, you know, this too shall pass. And I think organizations that continue to, to place their bets on things that help them to differentiate and to help them deliver on time and at a lower cost structure will be the winners when, when things turn around. Right. And I think in, right. in the current organization, you know, we made a tremendous investment in our technical estate. We made a tremendous investment in the tool landscape that we're using both internally and with our customers. And I think at a minimum that helped us pivot in the COVID-19 situation a lot better than some of our peers, which maybe took a more conservative approach. Yeah, it, it, it's it's really tough to turn this ship around, this tanker around. In in you know you can't do it in the in weeks. Uh, com- and companies who've been investing in this for years and years are really finding the advantage from that. Well, That's just just on, on that point, in the matter of weeks, you know, we've embraced a lot of cloud technologies. Where you know that remote engineering concept that I talked about a little bit earlier, you know, we were able to implement that in about three weeks. So in these type of situations, which you know are it is a crisis. You know, you see a lot of innovation, you see a lot of fast movement when you have to. And in that case, you know, we needed to maintain our engineering capabilities. And to do that, you know, we rapidly implemented, you know, pretty contemporary technology. Yeah. And obviously moving that quickly, if it's effective, brilliant. But we know that will immediately show cracks and that will expose everything if you if you're not if you don't have that in place um well that's a good move into another spot question the future of oil what <laughs> i mean what 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 are we looking at Is it the future of work uh, oh sorry sorry future of oil a future yeah, of oil. look uh i i wish i had that crystal ball uh, i can say from from what i've read and what i'm hearing that it's going to be a relatively long recovery cycle i think there's just so much inventory 
in the world right now. There's so much production that's happening. You see the geopolitical tensions happening now in the Middle East and Russia. And at, at the end of the day, oil is fundamental to a lot of economies around the world. And there's a there's a disincentive for them to to cut because you know at the end of the day they have to deliver for their respective populace. So right. if you look at that with again you know demand that's gone through the floor, we're not going to see major price spikes just because you know basic supply and demand curve. If you have a lot of folks continuing to pump and you have not a lot of folks to consume it, that's going to keep prices low for the medium term. Right. But I think for us as you know leaders, we have to find a way to adjust to the new normal. And, you know, when I look at the digital portfolio and the investments we're making, you know, we're still investing, you know, that the hurdle rate is higher and the expectations of return are, are more aggressive. But, you know, we will continue to, to deliver innovative solutions. Yeah, right. And as we all get used to that new normal um, and and I mean, you touched on it slightly before some of those changes that maybe go, let me, let's go a little bit deeper into some of those changes that you've made at mm -hmm. the organization and the operating model, as we do realize that this is actually the new norm, if, if, if we can. Mm -hmm. Look, I think we've run the strategy that we've, we planned out a, a few years ago, and that is, you know, make the workforce as mobile as possible, you know, get everyone doing as much on the edge as possible. And then from a platform perspective, we're looking at tools that are flexible, scalable, you know, predominantly cloud-based. And fundamentally, we're trying to deliver a really good integrated experience. So not only do these tools have to work, whether I'm here in my, uh, my living room or I'm in the office or I'm at the customer site, uh, but that, that experience needs to be integrated across piece. Right. And, um, and in that new normal, as as people are, are reevaluating their careers, skills, you yeah. know what their future is. Um, if somebody wanted to come and work for Alan Cockrell, you know what should they be doing right now? Yeah, look, I, I see you know the, the technical estate turning about every two years. I think every every two ish years we get a brand new technology or we get some sort of innovation that we need to understand, assess, and figure out where it sits in our estate, if at all. And the leaders that I want to bring into the organization are techno-functional experts with you know, boundless curiosity. Because I think long past are the days where you would come in and know one language and that would be the, the seat of your career for you know, the, the medium or long term. I think now the tool set that's available, it's, it's quick, it's easy, it's cheap, it's usable across a, a wide range of users. And the leaders I wanna have are, are again, good business partners have a solid focus on, on process, so applying things like ESSA and Lean and Six Sigma, but then they have the curiosity to be able to pick up these new tools and technologies and figure out the best way to apply them. So that that skill set is, is really where I put a lot of emphasis in, in my hiring. Right, and and I guess that's, uh, it's just the nature of the beast in that, you know, people in the sweet spot at the top of the curve are in that great position because they've got the experience maybe being exposed to more, more tools especially over the past five years at least yeah. i mean we just know what it's like but then you've got the new people coming into the workforce you've got the older people in the workforce and it's and it's definitely a challenge i mean it's a real problem it is but continuous learning yeah that's that's the name of the game is that again anyone that comes out with their ba or their mba and thinks yeah, i'm going to be set for my career are mistaken. I think the world moves too fast for you to get kind of one piece of paper and one data point in time and, and consider your education done. And right. the great thing is that if you go out to YouTube or if you go out to any of these OEM sites, 
the amount of training material and how-tos and example models that are available make learning these new tools and, and methodologies actually quite good if you just put in the time. Absolutely. No, I totally agree. Um, so maybe I'm trying to do some set questions in these in these podcasts as, as we start doing this series. Um, any recent books you've read that you could recommend to anybody listening? Well, so I have, I have two young children, and I can tell you a lot of them are, are children's books. But uh, I, I was thinking about this question because the one book that I've read recently that I found quite interesting actually to re-experience it is Aesop's Fables. So the bedtime stories that I've been reading to my, my son and daughter, uh, I think that book has been pretty profound because the, the lessons and the kind of messages from those relatively simple stories are, are quite interesting, especially viewing it through the lens of you know being uh, several decades older than when I first uh, read those stories. Yeah, the, the age of them and the simplicity I think they say isn't there, there's maybe only seven types of stories in the world and every every Hollywood movie is based off them. But yeah. essentially, they're, yeah, those core concepts, you, yeah, they, they're timeless. So it's been fun to re-experience that. But I can tell yeah, you. Yeah, go ahead. Did you do the voices or did you just read it, read it plain? I, I try, but, you know, <laughs> there's so many stories, you know, the, the, the voice of the crane, since it tends to sound like the frog. And unfortunately, right. uh, you know, I'm running out of voices, not, not too uh, skilled in that space. Yeah, I, I, I gave up. I, I just read it plain now. <laughs> um, and then what about uh, podcasts? Do you listen to podcasts? Um, yes. Whether, whether um, you know, personal development, uh, sure. and, and any anything really that you get from it, or work, work-based as well. Yeah, so recommend. that's actually a, a big way that I consume uh, media is through podcasts. And again, in, in the previous world when we had a commute, uh, I was, it's kind of funny, this is how I measure my commute. I measure it in one podcast. Uh, to and from to and from the office and you know the podcast that I've been listening to recently obviously I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan I think he's he's brought a very innovative approach to long-form media Uh, there's uh, business wars on NPR uh, Freakonomics a lot a lot of that suite that comes out of NPR in the United States uh, I tend to listen to uh, frequently yeah it's great that now you know from the European side, we can now have access to NPR. Maybe the Dutch side, the Americans get all the BBC content. It's it's definitely, I mean, that media landscape's changed. But I, yeah, I, 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 the value from podcasts is yeah great for us too. So, um, well, great. Well, thank you, Alan. We really appreciate being on the first ever podcast in this series. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Great. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. Thank you, Alan. Well, thank you for joining us. And thank you to Alan. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, head over to instoa.com forward slash podcast. See you soon.